So in this class, which is your last class, we are going to review critical skills. We're going to provide you with a narrated demonstration of each skill. So here's the things we're going to go through. We're going to go through screening assessment. We're going to review how to identify the free nail border and how to clip nails safely. We're going to review thinning of hypertrophic nails with an electric grinder. We're going to demonstrate pairing of corns and calluses. We're going to review management of ingrown nails. And then I'm going to show you how to offload a planter surface ulcer with adhesive felt and how to construct a crest pad. And then finally, we're going to review a case scenario so that you get some experience in pulling everything together, your assessment, determining your interventions, coming up with your patient education, and identifying any necessary referrals. So in this class, we're going to do a series of demonstrations of the procedures you'll most commonly use in foot and nail care. And I have my model here. This is Jane. You can't see your face, but you can see your foot. So we're going to start with a screening assessment. We're just going to review that. Now, this is not a comprehensive assessment. This is the type of assessment you would do at each visit. So you would start with observing the leg, the foot, and the nails, and you're looking for color. So if I walked in and she was sitting with her legs down, I'd be observing for dependent ruber. If I had the option to elevate her leg, I would check for elevational pallor. And of course, I'm looking for any evidence of venous disease like hemosiderosis. Then I'm going to check skin, hair, and nails, and I'm looking to see a skin normal turgor, normal texture, which hers is. If she had arterial disease, I would typically see very thin, shiny skin. If she had venous disease, I might see flaky, dry skin. And if she had lymphedema, I might see some fibrosis of the tissues with cobblestoning. Then I'm looking for patterns of hair growth, and I see no hair. So in the clinical setting, I would ask, do you shave? Yes. And she said yes. Um, if she said no, I would ask her if the loss of hair represented a change. As you know, changes in patterns of hair growth is a common symptom of lower extremity arterial disease. So skin looks normal, no hair, but that's normal because she uh, shaves. And now I'm looking at her nails for any trophic changes. Now, if she had lower extremity arterial disease, what I typically would see in the nails was I would see thinning, and I might see some ridging of the nails. If she had a fungal infection of the nails, they would be thick and crumbly, and it would tell me nothing about perfusion. So skin, hair, and nails all check out normally. I see no evidence of arterial disease, venous disease, or lymphedema to this point. So now I'm going to check pulses. I would check first for a dorsalis pedis. 
you know that 15% of the population do not have a dorsalis pedis. She does. But if I needed to check posterior tip, I would come to the medial aspect and check just below the ankle bone. So pulses are normal. I'm also going to check capillary refill. I can check capillary refill either using the nail bed or if she had thick nails or if she had polish, I could use the nail, uh, the toe pad. Now I would press, wait for color to return, and normal is less than three seconds. So everything looks normal from a perfusion perspective. I'm looking for edema. I don't see any edema, so no evidence of venous disease. Now, if my patient was diabetic or I had any reason to suspect neuropathy, I would want to do a sensory check with a monofilament. So now we're going to do sensory testing. You would do sensory testing anytime you have a patient with um, diabetes or you have any reason to suspect neuropathy. We use a 5.07 monofilament. This is the monofilament that has been tested extensively and shown to be reliable in detecting loss of protective sensation. As you see, some centers use four-point testing, so they test the first toe pad, first, third, and fifth mat heads. We're going to use 10-point uh, testing so we're going to test the first, third, fifth toe pads, first, third, fifth mat heads. At midfoot, we're gonna test medial and lateral. She has minimal callus, so we're gonna test the heel. And then we're gonna test the dorsum between the first and the second toe. I wanna be careful that the only thing touching her foot is the monofilament, so I will avoid touching her foot with my hand. I'll ask her to close her eyes so that she's responding just to touch and not to visual stimuli. Also notice that the correct way to test with the monofilament is to use steady pressure until it turns into a C, remove it and wait for a response. So what I want you to do is tell me when you feel me touch your foot and just keep your eyes closed. Now, 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 now. Okay, so she responded at all 10 sites, so she has normal sensory awareness. Now I'm going to demonstrate use of the tuning fork to check for vibratory sense. I know this is not on the slide, but it is in your coursework. And if you have access to a tuning fork, this can be a very helpful component of your assessment. As you know, vibratory sense is the first sense to be lost. So it's a very good way to track your diabetic patients for development of neuropathy. So if I'm going to check for vibratory sense, I'm gonna check either over the bunion bone or right at the base of the great nail. 
What I want to determine is whether or not my patient can sense vibration and whether she knows when it stops. So here's how the tuning fork works. You hold it by the stem, you smack it really hard against the palm of your hand, that makes it vibrate. When you want it to stop, you pinch the two tines together. So I'm gonna ask my patient to close her eyes to tell me when she feels vibration. Yes. To tell me when it stops. Yes. Okay. The last thing we're going to test in terms of sensory function is position sense. Now, position sense means that this person knows where her foot is in space. And if she's going down steps and her foot's on the edge, she'll recognize that, she'll correct. If she's walking on rough terrain and she's about to trip, she'll recognize and compensate. So it's a very simple test. Again, I ask my patient to close her eyes. I'm gonna move the great toe in different directions and ask her to tell me what direction the toe is pointing. Towards me. Correct. Away from me. Okay. To the side. Okay. To the other side. Okay. <laughs> so she has intact position sense. If she no longer had intact position sense, I would do intensive education about fall prevention. Okay, so we've done our vascular assessment. We've done our sensory assessment. Now I'm gonna look at the skin on the foot. I'm looking for calluses. I'm looking for evidence of fungal infection. I'm checking between the toes to make sure that there are no breaks in the skin, no fissures. All of that's normal. I'm looking at the nails themselves and I'm looking at length. I'm looking at thickness. I'm looking at contours. I'm looking to see if there's any evidence of erythema over bony prominences, anything that requires padding or protection, any evidence of bony deformities, and everything on my patient is normal. So I've done my basic assessment, and now I'm ready to move into basic nail care. So I wanted to show you how we identify the free nail border. And to do this, the best thing to use is a stainless steel spatula, which is equivalent to an orange wood stick. So what you wanna do, you want to hold your spatula, you want to keep it in a neutral position. And what I'm gonna do, holding it in a neutral position, I'm sliding the spatula under the nail. And she's got very clean nails, but if she had any debris under the nail, I would be removing that. I'm checking to be sure that I can get the spatula under the edge. If I cannot, it means that there's an ingrown nail. But here I have nails that easily separate from the underlying skin. I have no significant debris. And when I talk about the free nail border, you can see I'm coming across with the spatula and the free nail border starts right at the hyponychium where you have attachment of the nail to the underlying nail bed. 
If she had any callus that obscured the free nail border, I would first pair the callus and then identify the free nail border. Having identified the free nail border, I would move ahead with my nipping or nail debridement. Now, we typically use stainless steel nippers. The contours we prefer are a flat base and then a curved jaw. And here's why we like this contour. If I was gonna trim this nail, I'm gonna trim this one because it's the easiest for you to see. I would slide the flat edge right under the nail border and then I can see exactly what I'm trimming because I want to follow the free nail border. And I would come right across. On this nail, I would slide right under that little corner. To get that little corner out. Then I would again check with my spatula to make sure that I could slide my spatula over and around and that I didn't need to take out any more nail. Looks like it would be helpful to take out just a little bit more. So again, I'm sliding my, spatula, my nipper under. I'm rocking the nail up a little bit. and clipping that corner out. And then I'm again going to check with my spatula. Okay. And then I would reach for my emery board because I never want to leave any rough edges behind. So I would come with my emery board. I would smooth all of the edges. So I would do this with all 10 nails. Hopefully she has 10 toes, all of which would get the same attention. So you're gonna find your free nail border with your spatula. You're gonna use your nipper. You're gonna follow the free nail border in trimming the nail. You're gonna use your emery board to smooth your edges. And then of course you would remove all the nail dust. A really good way to do this is to use an alcohol wipe to just wipe each of the nails to get rid of all the nail dust. And it also, if you ever have trouble distinguishing the border between callus and intact skin or between nail and intact skin, an alcohol wipe is very helpful because the skin will turn the normal skin color and the nail or the callus will stay yellow. So you can use your alcohol wipe for many things. Okay, so that concludes our demonstration of basic uh, nail care and basic assessment. The one other thing you would do at this point is you would moisturize the leg and the foot, but not between the toes. Okay, now we're going to move ahead and our next demonstration is going to be management of hypertrophic nails. So I wanted to show you use of the grinder. Now, whether or not you get to do this will depend on what your preceptors and clinical practice do.
a lot of clinicians, podiatrists, and foot care nurses do use the electric grinder. Others use coarse emery boards and surfactant solutions like three-way. But I w we want you to know how if you do have the opportunity to do this. So as you see, I have a handheld grinder. I'm going to use a sanding bit. You can also use your diamond cut burrs, but I'm going to use a sanding bit. This grinder has an adjustable um, collet, so I don't have to change out the collet. So I can just put the nail uh, bit in and tighten it down. I always check to be sure that it's tightened down really well. You don't want your um, burr flying across the room. The second thing you wanna do is figure out how to hold the grinder in a way that's very comfortable to you and gives you good control. Most of us, Jane and I, tend to hold it like a pen so that we have very good control. So you don't wanna hold it back here. You wanna hold it very close to the edge. Now, Jane does not have any um, hypertrophic nails. So I had to make my own. And you might wanna do this just to get the, ha get the hang of what it feels like. So what I did, I took a tongue blade and I applied wood putty until I had a pretty gnarly looking nail. So that's what we're going to thin down. Um, now, before I do this, I have to don personal protective equipment. So I have to put on my mask and I have to put on a shield. And then some clinicians use grinders that have a vacuum and that will suck the nail dust. Okay, so now I would hold the uh, toe in my non-dominant hand because I want to control the grinder with my dominant hand. I set it at about mid-range, so it'll be at about 15. I turn it on. And I would be holding the foot like this. And because the grinder rotates in a clockwise manner, it's best if you file either from the base to the top or from the right to the left. And you can see basically it's like an emery board on steroids. So it's motorized, it's a lot faster than an emery board. But you can also see why it is that you need the personal protective equipment. Because you do create a lot of dust and a lot of these thick nails are associated with fungal infections, so you don't want to be aerosolizing and breathing in fungal dust. Now, the whole time that I'm doing this, I'm watching my bit, I'm making sure that I don't get onto the skin. I'm also watching the thickness of the nail. So I want to thin it down until it's slightly thicker than normal. I'd rather stop a little too soon than a little too late. I'm also noticing if the patient demonstrates any kind of sensitivity. So 
So I won't keep going, even though for those of us who do this all the time, it's a lot of fun. Oops, my nail is falling off. That won't happen. That's just because it was attached to a tongue plate. So you would keep going until you had a nail that was slightly thicker than a normal nail. Okay. Didn't want that nail. Now the next thing I'm going to demonstrate is pairing of corns and calluses. And again, my model doesn't have corns and calluses. So I'm actually going to use a line to demonstrate this. So you know that when you have a patient with a callus or a corn, typically the outer layer of the callus and the corn is hard. And then once you take off the hard outer layer, you typically have a soft inner layer. The one exception is if you have a corn between the toes and that typically starts out as soft. So we're going to show you a couple of different techniques. The technique you'll use for hard callus and the technique you'll use for soft callus is different. And because I'm pairing the lime, I took off my gloves because they also had a lot of fungal dust. Okay, so I want you to think of the hard green outer layer on the lime as hard callus. And again, this is something you can practice at home if you can get somebody to get you some scalpels. When you're pairing a hard callus or a hard corn, you're gonna take it off one layer at a time, top to bottom. So you always keep your blade parallel to the skin, to the callus. And there's two approaches. One is what we call catch and lift. So you slide under and flick up. It looks a lot like the Nike swish if you were gonna draw it. And I tend to do it toward me, but you can also do it away from you. So if you think of this as I'm holding the client's foot in my lap. Now the other approach is catch and saw. So here you slide the blade under and you kind of use a sawing motion to keep going. So either catch and lift, catch and lift again is the Nike swish move or catch and saw. And you do that until you're no longer dealing with hard callus and you instead are dealing with soft callus or soft corn, which is represented by the soft green. It's kind of spongy stuff. Now, if you keep doing catch and lift or catch and saw once you get to this point, you're at significant risk of getting too much tissue and causing trauma. So a better approach once you get to soft corn or soft callus is to turn your blade so that it's at right angles and do what we call a scraping technique. So that again, you're taking the callus off one layer at a time 
but you have very good control. So if you have not done this, if you're a wound care nurse, you probably have done this. If you're new to this, I would strongly suggest you get lemons or limes, practice this so that you're very comfortable controlling your scalpel, so that you're comfortable with the parallel approach to hard callus and with the vertical approach to soft callus. The other thing when you're pairing corns or calluses, two things really. One is that you're constantly monitoring the surrounding skin and tissue. When it starts to look normal and feel normal, then you want to stop. You know that callus typically feels very hard. It's usually shiny, kind of yellow in appearance. Then it goes to the white spongy uh, material, but you're looking for normal skin color, normal skin texture. The other thing Jane and I have found in working with our clients in foot clinic is that people who have chronic callus formation over the metatarsal heads will have a preference as to how much callus they want you to remove. Some will say, take as much of it as you can get because it hurts so bad when I walk on it. And others will tell you, leave a thin layer, it gives me some protection. So you always want to factor in um, the client's preference as well as protect the viable tissue. Okay, and the next thing we're going to talk about is managing ingrown nails. Now, with ingrown nails, of course, you typically have a C-shaped nail that is literally growing down into the soft tissue. And the first thing you wanna do is just to assess and you wanna determine is there any sign of soft tissue infection? If so, you've got to get the patient on antibiotics. You probably are dealing with a very painful situation and the client might not be able to tolerate anything. In that case, you would refer to a podiatrist who could infiltrate with xylocaine before doing anything. But let's say that there's no signs of infection. The client does report tenderness where the nail is ingrowing, and you're gonna try to lift out the ingrown nail. So the first thing you're gonna do is, of course, you're gonna come across to see, can you slide your spatula around? Then, as I explained earlier, if there is any ingrown nail, you would slide your, the base of your nipper in, keeping your tools neutral. You would snip out any little edge. You would check again to be sure that your spatula would slide around. You would use your emery board and you would keep going until that area was free and you no longer had tissue compression. Now what I wanted to show you, and I think we have enough nail to do this, is what you can do to help prevent recurrence of ingrown nails. So you can take a very narrow strip of an alcohol wipe. Some people use um, little pieces of cotton balls, but we typically use the alcohol wipes. And as you can see, 
I'm placing the central portion right at this corner. And then what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to tuck it under and then tuck it down on the side and then tuck it under as it comes over. And you can't do this fast, you just do it a little bit at a time. And you again, try to keep your spatula neutral. And when you get done, you're gonna trim away any excess. And the goal is that when I get done, you won't be able to see the alcohol strip and she won't be able to feel it. So I just keep tucking, 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 little bit at a time. Same thing right here. And if you can get this done, you can't always get it done. There's not always room. But if you can get it done, what it does is it creates a spacer between the nail and the soft tissue so that when the nail wants to dig down into the tissue, what does it encounter? It counters that little alcohol strip and it can't dig down. So ideally, when she comes back to clinic, that little alcohol strip will still be there, but I won't have a recurrence of the ingrown nail. So hopefully you'll get to do this when you're doing your clinical with your foot care nurse or podiatrist. And they might have slightly different approaches, but the basic concept is the same. Okay, now the next thing that we are going to demonstrate is use of adhesive felt to provide offloading of a plantar surface ulcer. And typically, we do this when we have a patient who has an ulcer on one of the metatarsal heads. It can also be used for an ulcer on a toe pad, but it's most commonly used for an ulcer on the metatarsal head. Now, as you know, total contact casting is the gold standard. We also sometimes use removable cast walkers. But sometimes we have clients who are not candidates for total contact casting or for removable cast walkers because of reimbursement, because of ulcer characteristics, because of neuropathy and concerns about creating another wound. <clears throat> so I wanted to show you a very simple approach to offloading <clears throat> that can be done using just adhesive felt. This comes on a roll. We get it from Amazon. It's very low cost. So I cut off a piece of adhesive felt. I'm going to uh, create an opening in the adhesive felt to accommodate the wound. Now you can see I've already shaped this piece of adhesive felt a little bit to fit her foot. And when you look at this technique in various publications or you hear it discussed from the podium, some clinicians pad the entire foot with a cutout for the ulcer. Most use the half foot approach. Some just use a two inch piece of adhesive felt surrounding the ulcer. But we're gonna do the half foot approach. So I am going to pretend that her ulcer is right here on the third metatarsal head. 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a piece of transparent adhesive. I could use Opsite or Tegaderm, whatever I've got. I'm going to put that over the ulcer. And then I'm going to use lipstick to mark the ulcer. This is going to help me transfer the pattern. So I'm marking the ulcer. It's also a great use for ugly lipstick. Instead of just throwing it away, you put it to use. Okay, now I'm going to take my adhesive felt. I'm going to line it up. I'm going to press it against her foot. And now you can see I know exactly where to do the cutout for my ulcer. So now I'm going to come over. I'm going to cut around the ulcer. I'm going to leave at least a quarter inch clearance so that once I dress the ulcer and I put this on, I don't have any pressure along wound edges. And notice that I did a little uh, cut out on the side so that I don't have just a circle over the ulcer. Most clinicians recommend doing that so you don't have to worry at all about any circulatory um, compression. Okay, so now I'm going to double check that it gives me adequate clearance around the ulcer. It does. So now I will take off the opsite. Sorry. I would clean my ulcer, I would dress my ulcer. And because this dressing has to last for a week, typically we'll do something like an alginate or hydrofiber and then a foam. So you're just gonna dress the ulcer. And then I'm going to remove the backing, which is always a little bit of a challenge. especially with gloves and <laughs> I'm gonna put this right around I'm gonna go home with her I hope she has food I like Wow okay now once I have this on I would take a wrap like a clean wrap or curlix wrap, I would wrap it around the foot just to secure both the dressing and the adhesive foam. And then typically people can wear their usual footwear, um, especially like athletic shoes. Occasionally I've had to remove the insole, but not typically. They do have to keep it dry, so they'll have to cover it for bathing, and then we usually replace this um, once a week. But you can see basically how it works is it lifts the person up off of the ulcer when she's walking. So that instead of getting repetitive friction and shear, no, she doesn't get that to the ulcer because it's protected by the adhesive felt is protected no matter what footwear she's using and even if she goes barefoot, which of course she should not be doing. Okay, that's it for that and for these gloves. Okay, I'll put my client's foot down. And let's see what our last thing is. I think our last thing is doing a crest pad. Okay. 
Now, why would you do a crest pad? Again, uh, Jane doesn't need one, but if you had a patient who had um, claw toes, mallet toes, and they were pressing down on the plantar surface and creating um, ulcerations right in here, a crest pad provides protection. There are commercial versions of this product, and most clinicians do use the commercial versions. But I did want to show you how you would construct a crest pad using moleskin and gauze. So you can take a piece of moleskin. You want to make sure that it's going to accommodate the toes, so you make sure that it's wide enough. You can always trim it down after you've made it. So I typically make it a little bit wider than I really want it to be. And then what you do is you take a piece of gauze. Two by twos work well. If you have to use a four by four, you'll end up trimming it down some. And you can see I just folded it up very tightly. It's just gonna create a little bolster. Now I'm gonna take the backing off of my moleskin. Oh, my adhesive products are not being friendly. <laughs> okay. So now you press your moleskin down all the way around because I want my little bolster to be right here. And then I take my scissors And I can trim my edges. So that it's going to fit the second to the fourth toes. And then I've got to cut a little access for my toes right in here. So once I create access, I just slide it over the toes. If it's not big enough, I enlarge it. And I would end up trimming that down a little bit more. So if she had, you can see now, if she had hammer toes right here, or claw toes that were compressing the plantar surface. Now this is gonna lift those toes off that plantar surface. And she just removes it for bathing and then slides it back in place. So either a homemade crest pad or a commercial version, either one will do the same thing. Keep the toes from causing problems on the plantar surface. Okay, that's it for demos. In just a minute, we're gonna finish this class with review of a case scenario. Okay, so we've done all of the demos, and now we're going to finish with a case scenario. So here's your patient. You have an 82-year-old female in an assisted living facility, and she comes to your foot and nail clinic. Her past medical history includes type 2 diabetes for 40 years, 
This is being managed with metformin and a diabetic diet. Her last A1C was 7.8, so you can see she is not very tightly controlled. She has osteoarthritis that affects both her hips and her knees. She has hypertension and hyperlipidemia, both of which are controlled by medications. She is obese. Her height's 5'5", her weight's 190, her BMI is 31.6. And finally, she has Alzheimer's that was diagnosed last year, but she is still able to do most of her own care. Now, here are the things that you see. She's ambulatory with a slow, steady gait. She does use a walker. She has difficulty bending over to remove her shoes and her socks, and she says she cannot reach her feet to clip her nails. She does have pain in her knees and hips. She manages this with Tylenol or Advil, and she rates the pain as 6 out of 10 at its worst. Vascular assessment shows the following. Skin is normal with patchy hair growth, and the patient says there's no change there. She has no edema. Her feet are warm. Her capillary refill is two seconds, and her pulses are strong. There is no ABI recorded in her uh, medical record. Sensory motor assessment, she responds to four out of ten sites when tested with a 5.07 monofilament. She had no vibratory response. She had absent position sense. She has hammer toes on the second and third toes bilaterally. She has abnormally prominent metatarsal heads at the third met head position with callus formation and with abnormal wear patterns on her insoles. She's currently wearing athletic shoes with worn soles, abnormal wear patterns. She's also wearing knee highs with runs and holes. Her skin appears dry and she has a rash across the entire plantar surface. Um, and the rash looks like circular flaky lesions. Her inner digital spaces are moist and she has fissures between the second and third toes and between the third and fourth toes bilaterally. Her nails are elongated, thickened, crumbly, and discolored. And when you ask her about foot care, she says she's still able to shower. She has trouble drying between her toes. She can't cut her own nails, and she is not seeing a podiatrist. So let's look at your critical interventions. Let's look first at, at hygienic care. So obviously, we're going to wash, rinse, and dry her feet. We're going to apply a moisturizer to her dry skin. We are going to dry thoroughly between the toes and show her how to do this, and we are going to avoid moisturizer between her toes. What about those thick, funky nails? Well, we're gonna start by thinning them with an electric grinder. We'll be sure to use our personal protective equipment, mask, shield, gloves, if we're in a situation where we do not feel safe using an electric grinder, we can use a coarse emery board. And once we get the nails thinned down, we can trim the nails and then we will file the nails. We will pair the calluses. We'll apply an antifungal to the interdigital spaces and the entire plantar surface. And then we need to protect those hammer toes. So we'll use either foam sleeves or gel sleeves. 
And if she's getting any plantar surface irritation, we can either construct a crest pad and teach her how to use it, or we can order a commercial crest pad and teach her how to use that. Education obviously is gonna be critical. She knows some of the things she needs to do, but not most of them. So we need to teach her how to use a long towel to dry between her toes. Her complaint is she can't reach, but with a long towel, she can learn to slide it between her toes and use it like floss. We also want to teach her how to use a pumice stone to keep the callus reduced. We want to teach her to prop her foot on the opposite knee so she can reach the foot with a pumice stone. We want her to purchase an antifungal spray powder and to apply that daily or twice a day between the toes and to the entire plantar surface. And this is important. We've got to emphasize to her this doesn't clear up quickly. She's got to do this for four weeks to eradicate the fungal infection. We want to teach her to use either a menthol rub or tea tree oil to the cuticle daily. She'll have to do that long term, so we want it to become part of her new normal routine to eradicate the fungus as the nail grows out. And then we want to talk to her about how important it is for her to wear either light cotton or one of the new synthetic socks and to replace socks when they have holes or seams or anything that could act as an irritant to her feet. We want to go back and reinforce to her that she has to be extra careful because of her long-standing diabetes. We want to teach her to shake out her shoes before she puts them on since you never know what might have crawled into your shoes and the importance of never going barefoot when she's out of bed. So anytime she's out of bed, she should have shoes on her feet. We want to teach her to inspect her feet at least once a day, but ideally twice a day, and she's looking for any areas of redness, any lesions. And if possible, we want her to purchase an over-the-counter skin thermometer and check the temperature on her feet at multiple points every day. And of course, what she's looking for is any site where the temperature is elevated compared to surrounding sites because that indicates inflammation. She's got to check every day, and if the inflammation persists, she needs to be seen. She needs to know she can't just go buy shoes off the rack and trust that she will get a good fit because she has neuropathy. And so she's not going to know if her shoes are too short or too tight or if the heel is slipping. So critical for her to purchase new shoes from a store where they have a professional fitter. And also we want to teach her that she's high risk for falls and that she needs to routinely hang on to the stair rail when she's going up and down stairs. We also want to initiate referrals. So if she can come back to our clinic, fine. Otherwise, she needs to go to a podiatrist for nail care. She should not be going to a nail salon because of the risk of infection. 
It would be very helpful if we could connect her with a diabetes educator so that she could improve her glycemic control. And we definitely want to refer her to an orthotist or a podorthist so she can get customized insoles. So summarizing everything we've done in this class, you should be prepared after your clinical preceptorship to provide all of these interventions. Hygienic care, you should be very comfortable identifying the free nail border. You should know how to thin and debride nails. You should be comfortable in pairing corns and calluses. You should know how to manage ingrown nails and fungal infections. You should be able to make appropriate recommendations regarding padding and protective products. And finally, you should be able to provide your patients with appropriate education and with needed referrals. And that's it. Congratulations, you just finished the theory component.